0: Welcome to What We Call Love, a podcast series empowered by Bumble and The Twenties Club. I'm Madeline and we're back for part two of our episode on dating and disability. Now, if you haven't listened to part one with Shakti, I'd recommend starting there just to give you some context on the topics we're about to dive into. Or if you're notoriously impatient like I am, you can stay right where you are and I will introduce you to Bex. Bex is 27 years old and she's engaged to a guy called Mitch. We'll get to Mitch later, but first a few things to know about Bex. She is a communications and marketing whiz, She was born with sacral agenesis, a congenital disorder that affects her spine, and she's a Paralympian who won a bronze medal at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. So basically she's an overachiever and she will smoke you in a 100-metre backstroke.
1: Here is Bex and I for what we call love. So sacral agenesis is a genetic condition that typically affects someone's spine. And it's a condition that can affect you in various ways. So the more of your spine you're missing, the more, I guess, impact it will have on your mobility. So some people on the more severe end of having sacral agenesis, they, I think they refer to it as like Buddha syndrome. Because when the child is born, their legs are crossed over and almost like looks like they're sitting like Buddha and typically with those sometimes they opt to amputate at the hips so there's been a few rare cases over time that gained a lot of media attention and they were known as like the half humans because they would get around on skateboards um, and there was actually a really famous woman over in the states who passed away a few years ago but she was in American Horror Story and she had But for me personally, I think it affects my lumbar spine from L1 and I'm completely missing my sacrum. As a result, kind of my legs didn't form properly and my hips are dislocated and fused. So walking is quite a challenge. I can stand up and hold on to things, but walking isn't very comfortable and I can't go for very long. So I prefer to use a wheelchair for mobility. So when we're teenagers, I feel
0: like a lot of us look to film and television and pop culture sort of generally for insights into love and dating, just in terms of like what to expect or what is possible. And so without even realizing the media from a really young age is informing what sorts of beliefs we have around romance, right? Growing up with a disability... What do you think the implications were of not seeing yourself either accurately represented or just sort of represented in any capacity in mainstream media?
1: I think growing up with a disability and having never known any different my whole life, I didn't really recognise it when I was younger. So I always just saw my life as being normal. And the way I did things as being normal, even if I did them differently to other people. And I constantly had this idea reinforced in me when I was a kid that, oh, like I completely forgot you used a wheelchair or I completely forgot you were disabled because I would just adapt and do things so independently. But I definitely think as you get older and you start to notice those difference, your friends are getting boyfriends but you're not, or you have a crush on a guy and those feelings aren't reciprocated, And, you know, romantic comedies, which every girl grows up, you know, loving to watch. And I was no different. You know, I think it does start to instil this idea in your head, whether it's conscious or not, that love is for able-bodied people and not for people with disabilities. And as someone who grew up loving those movies, wanting, you know, the fairy tale romance, the wedding, the family and all of that... It was such a conflicting thing as I got older to be like, is this going to even be a thing for me? Yeah. And then, yeah, it's really hard to kind of, when you start to notice the difference, wrap your head around it. And I definitely think once I started dating that, you know, it was just this constant process of being rejected and you know, being like, well, why can't I have what everyone else has and why are there no movies that are telling my story? Yeah. Or the stories that were telling my story were riddled with pity and, you know, death and it was... Disability was is never shown in media in a positive and kind of way that shows our lives as being worthy of living.
0: Yeah. And well living they're not, fully.
1: They don't show the lives
0: of those with disabilities in the same wholeness. Like, I think about that
1: movie, Me Before You. Perfect example. I can't watch that movie. Yeah, right. It's just, you know, because the, the story is, is that, you know... And I think it does it does differ between people who have acquired disabilities and those who are born with it. For me, I've never known anything different. So I've always really struggled to understand the way the world views me. Because to me, I am independent. I am capable. I, you know, am like everyone else in my own view. But 99% of the world don't view me that way. Yeah. And I think when you acquire your disability, you know, you've lived a portion of your life on the other side and then it all changes. There's a before and an after. Yeah. And I understand the the rhetoric or the storyline in that movie was that he was really struggling to come to terms with, you know, going from being a perfectly healthy, attractive, able-bodied male to being someone who had quite a severe accident that left him quite... Paralyzed. Immobile yeah. and paralysed. But the story gave him his perfect love, someone who loved him unconditionally as he was, and he still didn't think that life was worth living. Yeah. And those are the kind of stories that other young people with disabilities are going to see and be like, right, so even if I have this great love, my life still isn't worth living? Like, it really pisses me off that those are the stories that Hollywood choose to tell it's just so telling, right? And you've said to me in the past that
0: you started dating much later than some of your able-bodied peers. And we've just sort of talked about some of the reasons why that may have been. So what made you decide to just jump into the dating pool? And what, are the, what were the kinds of, as someone who's heterosexual, what were the, some of the kinds of guys
1: you were led to believe existed for you? So I probably started like actively seeking out a boyfriend when I was in my early 20s and it wasn't because I hadn't tried in my teens but the kind of circles that I associated myself in, I went to an all-girls high school so I wasn't exposed to boys on the daily and we didn't really have much in the way of like school dances and then the other kind of social pool I had was people that I swam with but because... My disability means that I would swim slower than most people my age. I was always swimming with kids who are quite a bit younger than I am. And younger younger guys, younger guys have never appealed to me. (laughs) So I was just like, don't go there. So I didn't really feel like I was going to meet someone the traditional way. And yeah, kind of in my early 20s, I was like, you know, I feel like I can change this. But I was like, where am I gonna meet these people? And even though at the time it, like the few friends that I confided in about this were really not on board with it around online dating. The able-bodied friends of yours? Yeah, the able-bodied friends. I didn't really have many disabled friends when I was younger. Um, but I feel like that's probably another conversation around disability and identity. But yeah, the friends that I confided in, I didn't dare tell my parents. Like, you know, I i definitely knew that they would be against it. So against you dating in general? or No, against me going, like, seeking a date online. Right, yeah. Um. And I think, you know, with online as well being somewhere where you don't always find the most social of people you know they I definitely think that they would have been against it and probably would have tried to talk me out of it Mm -hmm. so I just didn't tell them and yeah so I kind of turned to online dating and I definitely knew there was a risk in it and that the web is a deep and dark place sometimes and I started to learn that there were certain types of men out there that actually like fantasize about and fetishize women who use wheelchairs and they were quite prominent in my Facebook messages. I think I went to the London Paralympics and my profile grew quite a bit. I think I went, I had like a public figure Facebook page that went from having like 500 likes, which were mostly just friends and family, to over the course of the Paralympic Games in London to like over 15,000. And my... Like, direct messages were just flooded with all sorts of creepy... Like, it got to the point where I had to delete that page because I could not handle the volume of just... Vulgar. Vulgar comments, pictures, marriage proposals, even messages that were borderline, like, sexually abusive like, people telling me what they wanted to do to me, and as I was only, like, I was 19 when the London Paralympics happened, so I was terrified. I was yeah. like, but part of me was like, is this all that's out there?
0: Like, these is, th- extremes, yeah. right?
1: is it going to be, I'm either going to have to settle, like, am I going to just have to settle for whoever wants to go out with me? And because you know those were my interactions were either like finding men online or you know sifting through these messages and being like right so the least creepy I'll consider <laughs> but also they were all overseas like these this, it wasn't coming from men that were in New Zealand oh and like just actually seeing the way people talk about women with disabilities online it is it is it's either Men that fetishize it or men who actively and very openly and quite disgustingly say they would never. So I was like, right. So my option is either to try and trick someone into dating me or give in to this guy who just know, like, you almost want to take a restraining order out against them because of the types of messages that they're sending you. That's such a that's such a profound
0: impact to have on a person before you've even sort of started going on dates and things, right? Because you're sort of going in terrified. Uh, I wonder, like, do you have any defining moments from your early years of dating? And were there any sort of moments that you remember that made you think, oh my God, there are good guys out here. Like this could work for me.
1: I mean, there were some dates that I went on where the guys were perfectly lovely. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to see you again. And, you know, I'd maybe go out on two or three dates with them and things would be going great. And then it was almost like the other shoe dropped and they realised I just wasn't for them. And that really hurt because I was like, you know, having that repeatedly happen again and again and again... I was like... Oh. Where's you down. Well, yeah. And then I remember going away to the rear... Like, at the beginning of 2016, I remember going on a date with a guy that I really liked. And I kind of told myself, I was like, right, if, the, if it works out with this guy, then amazing. Like... I'm perfect but if for whatever reason he stops talking to me or I'm just not into it anymore and it ends like that's it I am just focusing and it always should have been this way but I'm just focusing on my swimming for this year like Rio's my time to shine like I'm gonna go away and do the best I can sure enough I think what what happened was he went silent for a couple of weeks and I messaged him to be like hey what's up like you know just checking in to make sure you're all good like do you want to catch up or something and he's like replies back half an hour later being like, oh, I'm really sorry, like, I didn't get in touch with you, but I got back with my ex-girlfriend and I just didn't know how to tell you. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, no worries, have a nice life. <laughs> I'll be off to the Paralympics. Yeah. Get a living. <laughs> and then when I came back from Rio, I think I lasted all of about three days before I got bored and I was back on um, dating apps. And I swiped right on this guy because he had some interesting photos. It was like... One was of this kid who just, like, had one of those, like, cheesy-ass smiles and crazy haircuts. And because he was blonde and this kid was blonde, I was almost like, I wonder if that actually is, like, a photo of him. And then there was also some really cute pictures in there of, like, him with what I assumed was his dog. And we got chatting and we got along really well. And after a couple of weeks of talking, I asked him out for coffee. And we got along really well left the date and saw each other a few more times and i guess we've never stopped seeing each other because <laughs> we are now getting married <laughs> <Mitch>. <laughs> so it only takes one yeah but um before we get to mitch okay because <laughs> i can't wait to talk about it before we get to mitch we've talked
0: about experiences where you've gone on dates where the guy hasn't known that you've had a disability are there any sort of defining moments of dates you went on when the guy was fully aware that you were in a wheelchair?
1: Yeah, I remember going on a couple of dates with a guy and they were, it was going really well to begin with. And then I remember on our first date, he had asked me, you know, what my condition was. And we kind of had like a little discussion about it. And then the next date we went on, he <laughs> had actually gone away after our first day, and Googled my condition. And we were sitting, and we were having a conversation about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, like, I looked it up. And, you know, it was mansplaining all these bits and pieces about my disability to me that weren't actually relevant because I don't think he quite understood that sacral agenesis was a spectrum of severity. So he was, like, you know, trying to tell me, like, the level of function that I should have. Oh, my... you know, I looked into it and, you know, I can't even, like, for the life of me, remember the specifics of it. But there was some weird stuff in there, like, just around incontinence and, like, having children. And I was just like... So he was trying to mansplain to you your experience
0: of your yeah. condition that you were born with from what 27 found, years ago.
1: Yeah, from what he'd found on Wikipedia. Oh,
0: my And I was
1: God. like, mm, I'm not really into this.
0: Like Was that – did you – like, how do you respond to that? Do you just sort of nod or do you say, I think I know my condition, but thank well, you? Well, I think
1: because I, I quite, because I quite liked him, mm. like, we seem to be getting along really well. I think I almost, like, kind of, like, justified it as, oh, he cares. Yes. But looking back on it, I'm like, that's a weird thing to do. Like – It's almost like a form of gaslighting, right? It's like – Yeah, and also – I don't particularly like it when people take too much of a medical focus on disability because that's when it can become quite negative and very, you know, it's your fault that you're disabled as opposed to I'm living in a society where things aren't built for me and that's not okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I actually hoped this interview will do is
0: remind us that able-bodied people often forget that for the one in four Kiwis who are disabled you have to live in a world that isn't designed for you to thrive
1: that's the problem the problem's not you guys and I think that that is where you know looking back on most of those bad dating stories where the guy was definitely coming at it from the the issue with the situation is you not everything around us Whereas I think Mitch very much views it from the perspective where he agrees that it's everything around us that's the issue, not me.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, again, is why I love him.
0: why we love Mitch. Isn't it funny how, just as we've reached a point in society where we feel no shame around using dating apps, there's still a lingering stigma when it comes to making new friends online. Bumble is the first app of its kind to bring dating, friend finding and career building into one social networking platform. Bumble BFF is a place where you can find platonic connections in your current area. Whether you're looking for a new friend for life, a workout buddy or even just looking to make a connection with someone while traveling, Bumble has someone for you. I know that like in date mode, it's easy to feel like you should be extra picky when swiping right or left on a person, but it's also important to try and give them a chance. Who knows, that next swipe right could be your future best friend. To help you make friends on Bumble BFF, Bumble recommends that you are as authentic as possible when it comes to writing your bio and that you show off your personality. Include what sparks your interest in a conversation, like some of your favorite TV shows and hobbies. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. Online dating services like Bumble have brought with them so many new opportunities, but also some challenges. And for someone with a disability, it can be hard to figure out how much you want to reveal about yourself online. So what advice would you give someone with a disability wanting to set up a Bumble profile? Because that is a hard decision to make. Do I want my wheelchair to be in these photos? Do I want them to get to know me
1: first? How did you navigate that? I went every single which way (laughs) over the four years that I was probably using dating apps. I went from not including any information at all to having no photos of myself in a wheelchair, um, to having all the photos that I had on my profile in my wheelchair and information in the bio about my wheelchair, to just having maybe like one or two... But I definitely think that a positive to look at is your disability can be a really great filter for finding the right people. And I always found that, I mean, if you're looking for an ego boost, go for no disability at all because I would always get, you know, maybe double if not triple the matches if there was no trace of my disability. But then the number of people that would unmatch me or... Say awful things or ask really inappropriate questions or accuse me of catfishing them. Right. Would be if there was no trace of my disability. And then also, you invest a lot of time in talking to people on dating apps. So, and I always found that I was extremely nervous and anxious when it got to a point where someone would ask me out or I wanted to ask someone out that I was going to have to tell them about this thing about me. And if I really liked someone, I would just freak out because I was like, crap, what happens if they unmatched me? Because I would say nine times out of ten, they did. Yeah. Like, they didn't want to know me as soon as they knew that I used a wheelchair. Did you have any experiences where you matched with someone and you
0: hadn't um, mentioned the fact that you were in a wheelchair and then you went on a a date with them and you didn't have a positive experience with them recognising that you were disabled?
1: Yeah, I had two. One was a guy that I matched with, and like literally, the first thing he said to me was, "Hey, like I don't like talking to people on here. Let's meet up for a drink." And I was like, "Well, we literally know nothing. Like he could be a serial killer, or a, a weirdo who chews with his mouth open." <laughs> and just as bad. you know, he's he's you know just asking me to go out for a drink. Like I felt there was no social contract where I needed to tell him anything other than what he'd seen in my pictures and I got there and you know he gave me a hug when we first met and we went into the the bar and the conversation really flowed like I felt like we were really getting along like he was super polite super lovely and then we kind of settled the bill I don't remember well to remember who paid or anything but we left and when we left he was super quiet and like we were walking together and we got to the lights and he was kind of just, like, looking here. Like, he hadn't really looked at me. And idiot me decided to break the ice by being like, oh, so, like, what do you think about my wheelchair? And he, and literally, like, stone cold. He was just like, yeah, I wish you told me about that beforehand. And then, like, something out of a movie, the little green crossing man went green and he just walked off. And I was like, and left you there. Cool. <laughs> and again, like no, no time or effort had been invested in this relationship at all, other than the hour or so that we were yeah. having a drink and some food together. But it he didn't hurt owe him anything. He didn't, no. owe, you know. But like, it still didn't really hurt any less coming Completely. from a complete stranger. And then the other experience that I had was this guy that I agreed to meet up with. And then, like, a couple of days before the date, he asked to add me on Facebook. And I was like, oh, so he's going to go and look through all my photos. So he's going to know I'm in a wheelchair. I show up to the date. He never showed up. The first and only time I've ever been <laughs> stood up. He didn't He didn't show up to the date? No. And it's... What was the plan you'd made? We were just meeting for drinks after work in Takapona. And I got there, and, like, I got a drink and everything. Like, I literally did not see it coming. And I even told the waitress who oh. brought me a drink that I was meeting a, an app, like, a, a dating date. app date. <laughs> and so she brought me out my drink, and then he just never showed, and I waited for, like, half an hour, and then I went in, and they almost made it worse by being like, oh, this one's on us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was mortified, like, absolutely mortified like I sent him the most scathing message being like you just don't do that to people and then blocked him what an absolute piece of work yeah didn't even have the audacity to send you
0: a message and say I've had a change of heart just didn't show up which seems like the perfect opportunity for us to bring in the redemption story which is the fairy tale known as Mitch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Mitch. So, you and Mitch met four years ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was your first date like, and what made it feel different to other dates you've been on?
1: So, I know we've just talked about bad experiences where the guy, where I'd never had the conversation with the guy about using a wheelchair. And I don't actually remember. I'm pretty sure I didn't tell Mitch before we met for our first date explicitly that I used a wheelchair. There was a photo in my profile that had me using my wheelchair. It was actually like a bit of a flex. It was my... um, (laughs) Paralympian? (laughs) Yeah, it was actually, I think it was after I'd won my bronze medal. (laughs) and it was me with my bronze medal on That's and my tracksuit on, pull deck looking like a drowned rat, but I was proud. So, exactly what I would do. That was my that was my photo on my profile of me and my virtue. Okay. So, I kind of just assumed cuz like I was starting to really like him by the time I asked him out for coffee. And I How was like How long had you been talking for? Mm, a week, two weeks maybe. And like I was really starting to like him. So it was again that dilemma of do I say something, do I not say something? And in the end, I don't think I did. So I was actually quite nervous going into the date because I was like, I'm I'm going into this on the assumption that he's like seen the wheelchair and that he's like totally cool with it. And it never came up on the first date. Like, you know, it was like we were friends catching up for coffee and the conversation flowed and we were getting to know each other really well and it was just a super lovely afternoon over coffee and waffles um and oh. milford's so lovely and afterwards there was no kiss on the first date he gave me a little hug afterwards and was there any talk of a second date on the first date mm. like how did you know it had like could you just tell it had gone well yeah yeah and I think, because again, I was like, oh, he didn't kiss me on the first date. Like, is this just like a friends thing? So when I got back to my car, I just kind of like sent him a text message straight away being like, hey, like I just had the greatest time. Like, I absolutely loved meeting you. I'd love to do it again. And then, yeah, he eventually messaged back to be like, yeah, I'd love to too. And then I think we met up. It would have been about a week later. We had our second date. And you've been joined to the hip ever since. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's almost kind of like when... When you know, you know, right? And after so many years of, like, you know, being on maybe two or three dates with a guy before the other shoe drops, I was waiting for it. I was, like, almost, this is too good to be true. I shouldn't be getting this attached. Like, holy shit, like, I feel like I'm really falling for this guy. And, like, what if he doesn't feel the same way? And I think we had one date where... And I'm so embarrassed by this that I actually only told him how I felt maybe a year ago (laughs) which was I planned a really cute date night where we were going to catch the ferry from town over to Devonport and have dinner and then come back and we parked in the downtown car park and it was right after they started digging up Albert Street for the new railway and we left the building and realized that the exit we'd gone out of there was just stairs and there was lots of them and I was like crap this is like date number five with this guy I can't I can't go full, like, full in right now and ask them to (laughs) carry me down the stairs. (laughs) So he offered to go away and, like, find some help because I think we were, like, locked out. Yeah, we were locked out. We couldn't get back into the building, so he had to go down the stairs and round to try to find someone to let us back in. And he'd been gone maybe, like, 10, 15 minutes. I was starting to get a bit nervous. I was like, okay, he's been away for a little while now. And then after about half an hour, I was like, the thought... Started creeping out of being like, is he coming back? And I was like, at what point do I call my dad to come and pick me up and be like, my date has abandoned me on the top of the stairs of the PwC building. On date five. <laughs> on date five. <laughs> and like literally five minutes later, he reappeared with a security guard. And you had completely thought, mate, oh my God, yeah, this Yeah, I was like, oh my God, he's figured out it's too hard. It's too hard to be dating a girl in a wheelchair and he's just done a runner."
0: Oh, my God. Which just shows you that, that residual trauma
1: of yeah. the experiences you'd had
0: in your formative years, those things, like, don't leave us. And they often
1: resurface when we've, like, we've healed from that trauma. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and even for, like, the first few months, like, it literally, I think even maybe for the first year, it was almost like I was waiting for something to happen. I was waiting for him to figure out that, It was too hard to be with me because literally every other guy that I dated before that had showed me exactly that. Because whether they ghosted me or outright told me, I knew what the reason was. And it wasn't that, you know, they just weren't into it. It was that they weren't into it because of my disability. What do you love about Mitch? I love how he is just so kind and nothing is ever an issue. I always get asked by people, you know, when did you have the conversation about your disability? And, you know, when, you know, how did he approach it? And what kind of questions did he ask? And it's never come up. And the only conclusion I can draw from that is because it's never mattered to him. Which I think even on some level still blows my mind. After just years and years of fielding questions about whether I can have children, whether you're going to have to look after me, whether, you know, we can even have sex or, you know, all of those incredibly personal questions that people just seem to think they're entitled to the answers to. It's just never come up. And, you know, we moved in together and I moved into the flat that he had been living in, which wasn't accessible. It had like a massive step up and the week before I moved in, his dad came around and they built me a ramp. Oh, I, those little things, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah, nothing is ever an issue. If I have a hospital appointment and I need a ride, he'll take the day off work. Like, no matter he, what? No. Like, I think I have one coming up in a couple of weeks and I'd arranged for my mum to help me. And he's like, oh, remind me to take the day off. Oh. And I was like, why? And he's like, so I can take you to the hospital like he's always he's in it right like he's, he's in, in it. this for the long haul yeah and you know I think it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that I deserved someone who loved me that way but you know I just feel so seen by him yeah like honestly I think I might start crying I know I feel like I might start <laughs> crying but yeah he he is just like the absolute sweetest human being Mitch <laughs> everyone needs a Mitch I'd love to end with
0: how he proposed. Because I don't know a single person that doesn't love
1: an engagement story. And I might be the biggest fan of engagement stories. (laughs) So, he actually kind of hijacked his own birthday present. But I had bought him... There's this accommodation in the South Island called the Pure Pods, which... I guess the easiest way to describe it is someone's bought a whole little land in Canterbury in the Mackenzie country and they've put these gutted shipping containers lined with glass on them and, like, kitted them out with a stunning, like, bathroom, little kitchenette and a bed. And he's always been a fan of stargazing. So I was like, oh, this would be a really cool, like, little getaway for us. I bought him, like, a voucher for his birthday with, like, a food package and everything. And we didn't get around to booking it until, like, a year later. So he had a while to plan it, I
0: guess.
1: (laughs) That was your plan all along. Yeah, (laughs) but because I'd been having a really busy time at work, he went completely under the radar with what he was scheming. Like, in hindsight, why didn't I question the fact that he booked a suitcase for an overnight trip <laughs> to Christchurch <laughs> when he's literally the kind of guy that packs like two t-shirts, a spare pair of undies and a toothbrush. And as women, we're like the best private inspectors, right? Like yeah. we are detectives. But I think just because I'd had such a busy time at work, like it went completely unnoticed. Like oh I didn't God. question it at all. But <laughs> he had packed away in his suitcase a whole lot of pillows and blankets and to do like a little picnic setup up on the deck of the Pure Pod. And we set it up and he told me it was under the guise of doing it for the gram, like to get and some you good still gram photos. And I still didn't click. I still hadn't clicked. So he set it up at sunset because he's like golden hour, like good photos. He's like the perfect Insta fiance, <laughs> husband, boyfriend ever as well. And
0: like, wow, Mitch really takes my Instagram seriously. Like, this is like, this guy is marriage
1: material. Well, (laughs) well, like, any other time he'd take the piss out of me for it. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) he's finally getting it. So I was like, it is kind of a little bit weird that he's like worried about the photo right now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we set it up at sunset, and we had like a bottle of champagne and everything, and he kind of like made it out like we were just yeah getting a photo for the Graham and celebrating, you know, his birthday. And all of that and I kind of messed it up a little bit because he videoed it so he set up the photo and he said he was taking shots but then he like set it up to record and looking back at the video he gave me the bottle of champagne to open but I'd never opened a bottle of champagne in my life and I was scared of the cork so I didn't want to do it so after like a couple of minutes of fumbling I gave him back the bottle and looking at the video he that when I was opening it was when he was gonna oh. reach around and grab oh, the ring. <laughs> <laughs> so oh yeah and and it was kind of like at that point because even though you know I didn't see it coming we had talked about getting engaged and he had asked me what kind of rings I liked so I did know something was coming but I knew not to get my hopes up because I didn't want to expect it and then have it not happen and I kind of thought well you know if he was going to do it surely he'd do it before we opened the bottle of champagne but he poured the glasses and you know we just kind of had a little drink and I was just like right let's just enjoy the evening and then he just kind of went for it and I don't remember hearing most of what he said because (laughs) as soon as I realized what he was doing I burst into tears and just like ugly cried (laughs) for 20 minutes and I think I did get the most important part, though. I did get the part where I said yes. Oh, good. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) But then it was just like, yeah, lots of bumbling and crying and hugging.
0: Was he composed?
1: I think he... No, he cried. (laughs) Sorry, baby, I didn't mean to drop you in it there. (laughs) But it was... Yeah. Perfect. And it was. It was just like the absolute perfect perfect moment because we're we're the kind of people that you know we see the people that propose to their partners at basketball games being like why would you do that it was just us in one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my entire life and it was just it was absolutely perfect the love of your life yeah Bex thank you so
0: much thank, thank
1: you. you so much for coming on